Welcome to this episode of the 9420 podcast, where we talk about the music that we love and the industry that we tolerate. Gabrielle Grace's new single, Good Without the Bad. Welcome to this episode of the 9420 Podcast. Hi, Carl and Greg. How are you guys doing today? Hey. Hello, Nicole. Didn't she have like, uh, on that song, 
Doesn't she have a um She had Logan oh what's his name? Let me Logan Pilcher. Pilcher. I think, yeah, Logan Pilcher who kind of was the male feature on there. I just enjoyed the song. Very cool. You know, very like a uh, eclectic, more indie folk than country, but I thought it was cool. Yeah. So let's just pick on Greg today. Yeah. Hey, that's fine. As I said earlier, before we hit record, I'm accustomed to that. That's that's. See, that's not a good thing. You know, that's not a good thing to be accustomed to. Well, you know, I mean, I, I kind of try to just do my own thing, but um, you know, beating my head against the world is um, my lot in life, I guess. Well, you can change that, don't you think? Oh, I know, I know, I can. I mean, I'm. Most people don't know that I do a considerable amount of um, work in that area. I mean, I'm what's called a recovery coach, and I go out and I teach all kinds of mindfulness and recovery um, tools to um, addicts. I've recovered. Yep, yep. Or you're recovering. No, I, I see now. This is where we'll all fight you, with you. We we always go. Yeah, we go. Down I recovered. You know, you know. This is my thing. Is I, yeah. you know, I'm sober now. Twenty five years. I'm sober longer than I drank. So right. I have a problem with, with some of this recovery terminology where you're just recovering. You're, you're always, you're still an alcoholic. And I don't know. I don't buy it. Yep. Just like when you're saying, you know, bang my head against the world. When you start believing in that concept, then you buy into it and you accept that. No, you, you basically, what you do is once you recognize that's what you're doing, then you deploy tools that will keep you from it. You know, what's what's interesting about your position, Carl, is that, um, and I would never suppose to tell someone this, by virtue of the fact that you stopped and you feel completely cured, it may be the case that you were never an alcoholic in the first place. Okay. Because, and, but I would never suppose to tell someone that because then that gives them a certain amount of permission to um, making a reservation that we talk about where it's like, you know, well, I stopped for 25 years, so there's no way I'm not going to have that glass of champagne at my granddaughter's wedding or something like that. So, yeah, again, I'm not a smokeaholic. I quit right. smoking 20 years ago. Yep. I'm not still a smoker who's like just in recovery. I for, stopped. For 99% of the people, and I don't want this to be a recovery podcast, but for 99% of the people, they're predisposed to addiction. Their brain science doesn't allow them to quit. So it was important for me to understand early on that I did not control it. Therefore, if I can't control the use or the abuse then I can't choose to stop. You know, you're right. Everyone has their own process and what it takes. One thing yeah. I do know is a lot of times in these recovery programs, the main component is if you as a person are not ready to actually stop, no program is going to make good help. I, I will agree with you 1,000% in that regard. I'm going to be spending a lot of time at my um, at this wonderful rehab retreat that I go over and do the recovery coaching stuff at. I'm going to be spending a significant amount of time there over the next couple of weeks. And so I guess maybe just subconsciously I'm preparing myself because I do think it's important work. And I think it's, um, you know, people, particularly today with all the crazy stuff that's going on out there, people have it tough. You know, it's it, it's hard. 
that's why I coined the phrase beating your head against the world, because the fact of the matter is that we don't do that very well. If you're predisposed to being an addict, it gives you the perfect excuse to say, screw it and to just use again, because we just don't accept life on life's terms. And so I have an old song that I never finished, but the title was world, you're in my way. Yeah. That's kind of a logical conclusion. And I think too, a lot of the times people, they tend to forget or they're just programmed to not realize that they do have choices and that every single choice that they make can be their own if they're just willing to shift perspective and kind of figure out what's going to be best for them. And sometimes that's like, I mean, it, it breaks it down to very, very simple things, but I do think sometimes people, especially when they feel as if the world is against them, forget that they have the ability to choose what they do in each step of the way that they want to do it. Yeah. A guy said one time, and I, I thought it was funny, he said, finally figured the, all this out. People don't do shit to me. People just do shit. And I thought, well, that's that's pretty profound. It, kind you of know, connecting I mean, it. Very that's profound. why we love music so much. To me, it's very healing, you know, in these kind of situations. I don't know. Music to me is the best thing there ever in the world. Well, it was my birthday. Really? Oh, you didn't say anything. (laughs) I don't like to make a big deal about my birthday. I just wanted to have a very low key weekend with my family, which we did. We ended up going up to a friend's house who has a lovely in-ground pool on Saturday and spent most of the afternoon there. So, and then yesterday, I mean, Greg, you know, we had like random storms in the morning. So yesterday was kind of a bit of a wash, but it was a nice weekend to be able to ring in my 34th year yep. on this earth. Funny, uh, uh, this this pool um, thing. So we have a very, very, very large mm-hmm. backyard. Who mows that? I used to. I used to really enjoy it. Very mindful yard work, but um, the mower broke. So I started paying these guys 40 right. bucks to come and do it with one of those zero turns. It takes them about, <laughs> they do the whole acre in like 15 minutes. It's ridiculous. <laughs> They're flying through the backyard. It's fantastic to watch. It's amazing, man. It's amazing. So, but every summer we have this dilemma that my wife and I sit on the back patio and, um, Every single house, we're on a cul-de-sac. So of course there, you're on a cul-de-sac. There are like where, where five or Greg six live? houses that surround <laughs> I'm us. I'm on a cul-de-sac too. And, what is that supposed every, to mean? I don't know. Exactly. Well, what it means is that you have, I think you have more neighbors in your back, you know, on the back of your down, property because it's a circle. It's a semi-circle, right? So. Every single person in this neighborhood has, you know, fifty to one hundred thousand dollar, you know, totally outfitted, mm-hmm. incredible pool. So my wife and I sit out there and we sweat and we hear splash, hee hee, splash, hee hee, you know, from all points. It's like surround sound of we're people running, having we're fun running, running at pool parties, and we're sitting there, you know, staring at our phones. Yeah, exactly. I'm going to, we actually did buy one of those little $10 misters and we we put that on the patio and it's like, we've got to get a pool. (laughs) So I'll publicly state now that if we ever make any money on this podcast venture, I'm I'm buying a damn pool. So, yeah, that's pool. it. So, babe, so everyone has to listen to this podcast and really subscribe so Greg can get a pool. Pool parties. Damn. You know what? With that, let's play some music. We're going to play Mountain Man by Sam Riddle. <laughs> <laughs> 
Um, this is a really classic country-sounding song. Cool. See you on the other side. Standing on the edge Knowing we could fall down Looking out over the ocean But I'm not ready now Up here on this mountain Enjoying the view And I know all the things That I have put you through You can push me off If you wanted to And I would understand We've climbed up this far Beyond the tree line The air is getting thinner But I'm still looking in your eyes There's wide open spaces
right, everyone. That was Mountain Man by Sam Riddle. Um, he is the second. Yeah, he's the second artist that we're featuring in today's episode, which I don't know. I really like the sound of it. It's just classic country to me. He's got a really nice sounding voice. Cool name too. I like his name. Yeah. So back on the other side, we were just talking about pool parties and all of that fun stuff. But uh, what did you guys do this weekend? I actually had a really, really, really good weekend because uh, I had one of those little milestone events. So I took my grandson, who's five, I took him wow. fishing for his first fishing trip You guys trip on living Friday. actual lives. Well, it was really, it was really special. It was really great. And then... You know, on the way back, I kind of discovered, you know, I love talking to him. He's five and he's usually willing to talk and he doesn't have much of a filter. So, you know, grandpa, uh, he said to me from the back of the car, he said like that. (laughs) Yeah, that sucks. Yeah. Yeah. So he says, um, you know, that was, was really amazing, Papa. And I said, yeah, it was, it was really cool. Thankfully, I took him out there and well, I always fly fish, but I bought him a little Zebco and I took him to a, a local agri center in town with about a, I don't know, five acre pond. And I figured there'd be fish there. So within five minutes of us having lines in the water, he caught really nice little smallmouth you, you bass. And it was just fascinating to see. He was just so incredibly elated. Oh, yeah. We were. What's We're catching release people. Thing? That was another funny thing he said. He said, so do we grill these? He's like, we're supposed to grill these, right? I'm like, no, 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 we we, we catch and release. But uh, he says to me from the back seat, he said, you know, I was really, that was just amazing. And I'm like, yeah, it's really cool. And, you know, did you take note of all the things we did and all the things we saw and blah, 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 blah. He said, yeah, you know, I was really afraid to fish. And I said, Really? And he said, yeah, I, I didn't think I was going to like it. I was I was afraid. And he said, I, I was scared. And I thought, that word, scared. wow, this, right. is, this is so strange that, you know, we don't. Yeah. And then to have he, it be such a great experience and then yeah, exactly have him discover there in front of me that it's like, hey, this was nothing to be afraid of. And it's like it was touching for me. It's a, it's a great lesson. It's a funny story about catch and release. And I heard a, a, a joke about these two fish, you know, and like, you know, with three fish. And they go, what happened to Dave? And I go, I don't know. They, they, you know, they go, and all of a sudden Dave comes back in the water and goes, hey, Dave, what happened? He goes, I don't know, man. I had this near-death experience. They pulled me up. I went on this boat and they threw me out. They threw me right back. It's like to fish, you know, catch and release is like a near, near-death experience. <laughs> Well, I think it's what happened to Dave. Uh, happened to Dave. I think it's awesome that you were able to like give him that experience and allow him to overcome that fear that he had or whatever he was truly afraid of. It brings it back to what Carl was saying in the last episode that like yeah. kids and and babies or whatnot, they're just so innocent and they don't know anything that's going on in the world that each experience to them is always going to bring like that genuine reaction of truly like what it meant for them. Yeah. And we, and and we tend to forget, you know, my, my thing was like trying to navigate, you know, what I had to do on Friday, you know, going over and picking him up, you know, getting everything ready. Uh, And I was kind of like on autopilot. Right. So never knowing that, you know, he, uh-oh, Maybe right. had a sleepless fishing. night or two, knowing that we were going to go, and, and he didn't really know what. Yeah, exactly. So it was a completely different experience for him than it was for me getting ready. But then As once maturity, it turned like, out know, great, another another fear. They goes, "Oh, so he realizes it's silly to be anxious and anticipate things until you, you know what's going on." Right? That's exactly right. Now, now I didn't tell him 
that uh, while we were out there, I broke the tip off of off of one of my fly rods, and um, so there's a great there's a great movie. Um, it's called Regarding Henry with Harrison Ford. And basically what it was is Henry Harrison Ford plays this really ruthless New York attorney, right? Who like just like does anything to, to win his cases and stuff. He's in like a little stationary store and he gets shot. He gets robbed and gets shot and has a brain injury. And basically what happens is when he wakes up, he loses his memory. So he basically he's a brand new, perfectly fine person with no memory. And he becomes a different person because now he starts over again. And he's no more ruthless. He's kind. He's giving. He's loving. And I wonder how much of us have that. How much of who we are is learned and absorbed and just programmed. And if we could just like do a a reboot, how much we could change? Like, you know, how much do you think we come with and how much do you think we're pre-programmed or how much do we learn? You know, I think it's a little of both. Yeah, I I agree. I think we're pre-programmed with a bunch, to be honest. And unfortunately, some of the... uh, some of our tendencies, you know, some of those neural pathways that we all choose to use on a regular basis, and then we just get stuck in those ruts. So I think the challenge is to see the world differently, to change your perception, and then start to do things. I think they call it cognitive behavioral therapy, but do things that force your brain to learn a different way. Uh, and then that's how I think you get to those choices that, that Nicole was talking about. There's a, there's a great, there's a, there's a great saying I heard. He goes, if childhood is so wonderful, why does it take your whole adulthood to get over it? <laughs> well, I think, I think we're pre-programmed in a way, but I also think that pre-programming can be brought out in different ways by what we see and what we're taught and how we learn. So just because we're pre-programmed doesn't necessarily mean that's the exact way it's going to come out for, for other people. Um, I think that that's a whole, it's a whole other thing to unpack because it's like nature versus nurture and, and things like that. It's a probability, but based on your environment, mm-hmm. it's which way you may not may not go. Exactly, which sometimes that's why it's hard for people to make choices that are truly what they want because they just can't see things in, in the way that they want to. And a lot of the times, people don't really understand or f- know how to let go of things that have happened in their past in order to, like Greg was saying, be able to make different choices and kind of reprogram the brain to start thinking in a different way. Because it, at the end of the day, it is a choice and it is hard to stick to if you don't necessarily have the support around you to make that happen. So this is the Dr. Phil episode. This is the Dr. Phil episode, yes. (laughs) Anyway, you know, let's get to that question of the week. That The the what, Carl? It is the... You, You have to say it. Yes, we but do you this have to every. Play the we, music. Do, we, we do this every week. <laughs> every we can't week. Get this done. Let's get to the question of the week. So you can say you got to say it, then I do it. Go ahead. Let's get to the question of the week. So, um, what was the question again? It was, "What <laughs> is your favorite live, like live music memory?" Why do we listen to this podcast? <laughs> no, but it is, "What is your favorite live music memory?" Oh, we got we got a few answers. I mean, we, we chose these two because they are both from artists, but they're both, um, but they're separate, different takes. One is um, from Lexi Jordan, mm-hmm. am I correct? Lexi Jordan, and she and she talks about a show that she went to. So let's see, let's see what Lexi had to say. My favorite live show memory would definitely be when I went to go see the Taylor Swift Fearless tour. She had just finished singing a song and she was looking out into the crowd and she was just so appreciative and she actually started tearing up and I was, I loved her music so much and I just really always aspired to be an artist like her 
and to just see how much she cared, I knew that that was something I would really connect with. And personally, with my fans, like that's the whole reason why songwriters and singers, that's why we do this. It's because of the people that listen to our music and the things that we can help them get through through these lyrics. That's what's most important. So that was definitely a big moment for me where I realized what I truly wanted to do. And that music was really my passion. Cool. Well, I think what's interesting in her response brings it back to what you were saying, Carl, that like music truly is like therapy for people. And if you're able to connect with them and and have them have some sort of emotion around what you're doing, um, it really can help change them or soothe them in a way. You know, there's something, Greg, you might get. I never understood being an artist myself about sharing my music. I never, I never thought of that term as that. I don't share my music. The music I write was for me to purge my feelings and my thoughts, and that's it. And if you get something from it, great. It's not about you. I don't do it for you, so maybe I'm selfish, but I don't try to share my feelings. I just expose them, and if you get something from it, great, but if not... It's not the point. Well, I think it's, I mean, it's analogous to a painter creating a, a painting and it hanging on a, on a gallery wall. I mean, I don't think that there's, I don't think as they're creating and then once they fixed it in that form and it ends up on a, in a gallery somewhere, I don't think their intent was to create that emotion or create that experience as people look at it on, on the gallery wall. I think it's just fixed in time. So when you go and you play as a singer songwriter or, or as an artist, I think you're basically, you know, you're creating for the audience, but I don't know, you know, I don't, I don't really know. I've never really thought about the idea as to whether or not, um, when I play on stage, when I haven't in a while, you're just a picture on the wall. Well, what I do is I don't even acknowledge the audience. I just start and then all of a sudden, 45 minutes, an hour later, I walk off the stage, I'm sweating, and it's done. I don't even remember what I did. You know, I don't remember how I remembered all those words. I just right. went through it. I just, you know, and then if you get something from it, great, but it's never the... That, it's kind of a voyeur voyeur kind of approach. And sometimes, I mean, sometimes that's really, um, it, it depends on how much you've bought into the act. I mean, so when I went to see you in that little club in New York City, uh, I had only heard, you know, some recordings and I didn't, I'd never seen you live before. And I was pretty intrigued by your approach to live performances. But, you know, I mean, most of the live performances that I've seen that I've really engaged with and was highly entertained by, there was this, there was this feeling of the artist. I don't, I don't, I don't know if sharing is the right word, but there was this there was this feeling of being able to watch them connect with their fans that was that was pleasurable. It was cool. You know, and I remember that I saw Queen one time and Freddie Mercury coming out to the front of the stage and toasting the crowd. And, you know, they had a, a glass of champagne and that kind of thing. And that that was that communal experience was kind of cool to yeah, see. I, I could do know? that, too. But again, it was I guess it depends on my mood. Well, I think, well, I'll add my two cents to this. I think what Lexi was just trying to get across is how she interpreted the performance was that she was kind of being allowed to experience something with the artist. So it was more a one-on-one connection as opposed to a one-to-many connection. And that's what maybe she tries to accomplish with her with her fans and how, how she's growing her 
audience and how she wants to perform, which is in her right, because as an artist, she can do things what she wants to. But I think, Greg, what you were saying, it's more most of the time with artists, it's they just want to go out, perform, maybe have some sort of connection. But at the end of the day, you know, perform the music that they love. Right. And at the end of the day, the fans truly can sometimes feel that that is allowing them to share in an experience with their favorite artists. Yeah. I know for me, like when I have seen many, many concerts and, and many shows, some not so great, some great. Um, but I will always remember going to see Alicia Keys perform at the Jones Beach, whatever they're calling the amphitheater nowadays. I forget what it is. But that was always a performance that will stick with me because I felt as if I understood her in that moment. But it it probably could have meant nothing to her. Um, but the way that she performed and and how into it she was. Um, it's one of those things that it stuck with me like 20 years later. And I think that's probably what Lexi was trying to get at is if she can do that with her career, that would be probably what her ultimate goal is. I guess before we before we uh, play the next person, my little favorite thing is, my favorite show, and it's, again, like, you know, I'll contradict myself as I always do, is about, yeah, it's, it's kind of about sharing. I, it was Peter Gabriel at Forest Hill Stadium back on Shock the Monkey Tour. And what I dug about this is Peter Gable lay your hands on me and he basically had this wireless headset and he basically laid into the audience and they must have put him back around 30 rows and then pushed him back around and pushed him back to the stage. I'd never seen that before. It was almost spiritual. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. And it was just, it was just too cool. Let's play. Um, Let's play uh, Krista Angeluki. How do you say Angeluki? I have Angelucci? no idea. I always get like, her last name confuses me, but Krista is one of the founders for the Women Crush It Wednesday, along with Melanie Marie. Right, I think it's Angelucci. I, I'll go Lucci. We'll see. Sorry to mess up your name, Krista, but let's see what she had to say. Oh, gosh. <laughs> I feel like this is a really hard question because I've had so many very, very fun memories with playing live music. Uh, for me, though, there's one that really sticks out, and I've never forgotten this. Uh, a few years ago, I had opened up for Phil Vassar at the House of Blues in Boston. And when I was out there, I had played a song for my papa, who had passed away. So after the show, I had this lady come up to me in just tears. And she had recently lost a really close friend of hers. So she was just telling me how much that song had really touched her and meant to her. And I will never forget that moment. And to me and to every artist and writer, to touch someone's life and their hearts with what you've written is just a really, really cool thing. So I'd say that's probably one of my greatest memories. Cool. Mm -hmm. I, I agree. I get it. Well, I, I think it brings it back to what we were talking about. Like she was performing just to be able to connect with the audience and give them a really good performance. And then the, the fan took that as a one-to-one -one kind of sharing aspect of what she was able to do. So I think for each person, the way that we see shows and we, we figure out like the live memories of it is more going to be super personal and super intimate as opposed to maybe what the artist is feeling in that moment. Yeah, I think that um, the audience picks up on different things, you know, so you can, a lot of folks, I think it was even mentioned, a, a lot of folks love seeing an artist come and perform and being able to see the humility of that act. And, you know, the, the artist was very humble and they were amazing and they played well and they were respectful of the crowd and all that kind of thing. I mean, I've, I've seen that occur. I've seen, you know, and I've seen the opposite too. I think we talked in another episode about, I've seen acts berate the crowd, you know, <laughs> I mean, <laughs> I've done that. Know, and, and, and it's like, 
So I guess it's all in, I guess most of it is kind of what you bring to it. I mean, I don't, I've seen so many shows. You know what I think it is too a lot? Getting back to what we said last week too about charisma and authenticity. I think people have an innate way of sensing if someone is for real. And when someone is for real, truly, honestly, for real, they'll embrace that. They're, 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 they're open to it. One of my best shows was probably one of my worst shows. Remember, I didn't have a spare guitar. I was doing this 45-minute set in the city somewhere. And I, I don't know, I strung with chord. I'm like two songs into the set, and I broke two strings. Bloom. I go, oh, man, I don't have a spare. So what am I going to do? So I just sat down on the stage, you know, with my legs dangling off, and I started restringing my guitar and started talking <laughs> while I'm singing the guitar. It must have took like 15 minutes because I'm tuning, I'm stringing. With it. And like, I thought it was going to be the biggest, the worst. Oh my God, what the worst? It was great. People just liked it because I just say, man, sorry, I broke a string. And I just sat there for like, and just started talking. So what do you think about it? So I think the world is basically good and people are basically caring, I think, for the most part. I think we've learned to be hard and I guess a lot of people wouldn't believe I'm saying this, but I don't know. Yeah, I, I think uh, I, I can recall. I mean, I have many, many, many men, memories of, um, of of great shows, you know, but I can recall that um, I went to see John Denver one time. And, you know, that that was the kind of show that, you know, there were probably eight or ten thousand people there, but it felt like you were in the living room. Right. So He's because pristine, he I just like had him, the ability to kind of you know, make everybody feel comfortable. And, but I, I do think there's an art and a science to actually creating a live show. I can recall seeing Alice Cooper on an, on a number of occasions. And, you know, so I, I think there's, there's a lot of work that goes into kind of creating the experience. Yeah. But then, but then there, yeah, there's a, but there's a Michael Jackson show and then there's a James Taylor show. Right. They're two separate concepts, right, you know? Right. But I, I, I do think that you can make things memorable, uh, you know, with, with production value and with, you know, I mean, I, I, I guess everybody presupposes that they're going to go out and they're going to play. I would, I actually listened to uh, Bursting Out, a Jethro Tull live album. God, we're, we're dating ourselves uh, now. Well, but I mean, the fact of the matter was that those shows were just bizarre and beautiful and wildly creative. And of course, the band played. The band was just smoking. I mean, it was Elizabethan psychedelia. On that note, thank you guys so much for listening to this episode of the 9420 Podcast. Make sure to subscribe on the channel of your choice so you never miss out on any episodes. And if you want to go to the show notes to find any links about anything that we've talked about, just go to the numbers 94 and the letters 20twenty.com for all of the show notes and more. We'll talk to you guys next week. Bye-bye. Bye. Bye, everyone.